Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everybody and welcome to Pick a Flick, the podcast where you pick a film and we talk about it. Simple. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm joined for this very special comic book episode by an old podcast master, Mr. Andrew Brooker. <laughs> Evening. The Podmaster. It's not a bad uh it's not a bad title. I've been called really. worse things. <laughs> <laughs> I think you deserve that though. More for the fact that you've seen Deadpool ten times at the cinema. Yes. Which oh. is a comic book feat of epic proportions. And you know what? I'd be going to see it more if Batman vs. Superman hadn't killed it this week. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. That's got to be some kind of record. It really it, has. It far surpasses my previous record, which was five. <laughs> <laughs> what was that for? Fight Club in 99. Before I really cared about, you know, working for a living. And, <laughs> and, you know, before I had a family, which makes doing Deadpool 10 times double as impressive. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So that was 17 years ago. So in the year yeah. 2033, you're going to see a film about 20 times. Maybe, maybe that will be Justice League 7 or whatever. But if, if I'm still around, I will definitely try to. <laughs> You're not going to want to see Justice League 7 20 times, I think. We'll have, we'll have to find a well, better film. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure if, if what we're going to be talking about today is any kind of <laughs> any kind of indicator <laughs> of the quality. Well, that brings us neatly on to what we are talking about today, because this is a DC Comics special, and we are specifically focusing on three movies, one of which has actually been picked. And so I can't, I can't I'm not going to lie and say all three of them have been picked. Only one has technically been picked. And... We're using that as a jumping-off point to talk about two other films, one of which is the brand-new Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. So that's later. That's to come. We're going to start with the uh, first um, movie. So without further ado, let's pick a flick. The Dark Knight Rises is a 2012 British-American superhero film directed 
by Christopher Nolan, who co-wrote the screenplay with his brother Jonathan Nolan and the story with David S. Goyer. Featuring the DC Comics character Batman, the film is the final instalment in Nolan's Batman film trilogy and the sequel to Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Christian Bale reprises the lead role of Bruce Wayne slash Batman with a returning cast of allies, Michael Caine as Alfred Pennyworth, Gary Oldman as James Gordon, and Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. The film introduces Selina Kyle, played by Anne Hathaway, and Bane, that was Bane, for those of you, <laughs> played by Tom Hardy. And eight years after the events of The Dark Knight, violent revolutionary Bane forces an older Bruce Wayne to resume his role as Batman and save Gotham City from nuclear destruction. So, let's have a listen to Bone in action. I'm going to do that every time we say Bone um, <laughs> and see how long it takes for people to stop listening. Here we go, here's the clip. You don't fear death. You welcome it. Your punishment must be more severe. Torture. Yes. But not of your body. Of your soul. Where am I? Home. Where learn the truth about despair. As will you. There's a reason why this prison is the worst hell on earth. Hope. Every man who has rotted here over the centuries has looked up to the light and imagined climbing to freedom. So easy. So simple. And like shipwrecked men turning to seawater from uncontrollable thirst. Many have died trying. I learned here that there can be no true despair without hope. So, as I terrorize Gotham, I will feed its people hope to poison their souls. I will let them believe that they can survive so that you can watch them clambering over each other to stay in the sun. You could watch me torture an entire city. And then when you truly understood the depth of your failure, we will fulfill Razagul's destiny. We will destroy Gotham. And then, when it is done, and Gotham is... ashes. Then you have my permission to die. Christopher Nolan apparently was hesitant about returning to the series for a second time, but he agreed after developing a story with his brother and Goya that he felt would conclude the series on a satisfactory note. Nolan drew inspiration from Bane's comic book debut in the 1993 Nightfall storyline, the 1986 The Dark Knight Returns, and the 1999 storyline No Man's Land. So, The Dark Knight Rises. Are you a fan, Andrew? Yeah, no, I I think I'm a fan. I, I enjoyed it as a... As a as a bit of a fun film, it ain't without its problems. It's got a lot of issues, but I think I like it. I, I, yeah, I I, I think a, a Tom Hardy helps a lot. I'm a big Tom mm. Hardy fan. 
But yeah, it's a decent film. I think that it's my favourite Nolan film of the Batman trilogy. I don't think it's the best, but I think it's my favourite one. Because for some reason, this is the one I find myself re-watching the most. And it, it could be because of Bane. Oh, I said it without the muffle then. Boom! Um, it, could be, it could be because of Bane. And because I just love Bane completely. But I think it's also the fact that there's just something about it that appeals to me more than the other two. It feels easier to watch. It feels, and it's not, I suppose this isn't really a compliment, but it feels more like something you can put on in the background and, and watch. And I don't get that with Batman Begins and the Dark, the Dark Knight especially, which I think is the best one. I feel like I have to concentrate more. So it's not really a compliment, <laughs> but I don't know. I just... I, I think I get... I'd agree with that. I mean, Batman Begins is, is a tough watch anyway, because it's, it's 100% drama and scene setting for the, for the whole two and a half hours, isn't it? You know, there's a little, little bit of action at the end, but it's not, you know, the kind of Batman film that we've been getting. We were used to up to that point. Let's forget the neon of Joel Schumacher films. Mm. And, but, you know, it was something different, but it was all drama. Now, the Dark Knight, though, I mean, it's easily my favourite one. But it's like watching Silence of the Lambs in costume. <laughs> yeah. It's so terrifyingly scary. Yeah. It, it, Heath Ledger's Joker, I think, is like the, the pinnacle of, t- of uh, film bad guys. I think he's amazing in it. And the thing with Dark Knight Rises is because you, there was no topping that. So now we're just, we're basically, we're, we're watching Batman 3. Doesn't yeah. matter the, the quality of the production. It's it's Batman three. It's it's comfortable slipper time. We just sit and enjoy. When he was um, confirming to do the Dark Knight Rises, Christopher Nolan said that he feels like the key thing about making the third film was that it's a chance to actually finish the story. He, you know, he said rather than infinite, infinitely blowing up the balloon and expanding the story, which is something that Zack Snyder has now begun. Yeah, this is something that has an end. Unlike the comics, these things don't go on forever. Viewing it as an ending that sets you very much on the right track about the appropriate conclusion, and I think that might be why as well I like it the most because it managed to tie everything together in a way that the Dark Knight didn't necessarily suggest was going to happen. Really, it the way it connects back to Batman Begins with Ra's al Ghul and and you know the 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 whole idea of what. Batman is and what Bruce Wayne is in those films I just think really it just really impressed me and I, I think that to, to be able to do that over a trilogy where I mean let's face it when they were writing Batman Begins they didn't know that this this was going to be the third film it wasn't a a pre-existing plan for 10 years you know they they knew they wanted to do the Joker which is why they layered in the Joker but I would put money on the fact they didn't really know the story of the Dark Knight Rises until they'd done the Dark Knight Oh, absolutely. Everybody wanted them to do the Joker, I think, for The Dark Knight. And we, we got the hint towards it at the end of Batman Begins, didn't we? One of the last scenes is the uh, the Joker card being handed over. But yeah, I think it, it ties a lot of things up nicely. I wouldn't say it's as clean as it could have been. And it leaves a lot of plot holes, not just for how it ended, but pretty much, I mean, the whole film is... And I know it's a comic book film, but you know they've they've made this film that's grounded in realism, or this trilogy of films that are grounded in realism. And you you can't you can't have that, and then dude flying nuke away and surviving. 
you know, and you, you can't have that and then have dude having his broken back fixed by being kneed in the spine. Mm. You know, there, there, there are some pretty serious storytelling issues with this film. Which I think is, which I think is what most people have the problems with, really. I think it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people can't get past those issues. They can't get past the, the fact that, yeah, that the whole thing about the back breaking and then his recovery is, is hard to swallow. And, and, you know, a lot about Bane's plans and a lot of how he puts everything into, into, into motion. Uh, I, I think there's just something about the storytelling that I, I, I appreciate that there are some real logic holes. But there's just something about the way this story is told that really attracts me and really appeals to me. And I think it's because it feels much more like a, a, a larger tapestry, you know, in that you... I mean, it's about 45 minutes until you see Batman, for a start. Yeah. Which is remarkable, really. When you think about that, that, it, that they wait what would be half of a lot of movies or nearly half of a lot of movies, and this is a two-and-a-half-hour-plus film. Yeah. They wait that long to get Batman on the screen. I mean, that's a brave choice in itself because you've got to have the confidence enough in the storytelling that you're layering in. And, you know, the first hour of this film is very much putting a lot of pieces together that steadily begin to escalate. And I think that sense of escalation throughout the film from the beginning of Bane's plan when he's in the sewer and there's all these police investigations going on and you've got Commissioner Gordon on the case and you've got Joe Blake with all the orphans and then you've got Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. There's a lot there that's been put into place. And I, I just like the way it does that. And it doesn't rely on the fact like a lot of older Batman movies that it's got to be about Batman constantly out there fighting. You know, this, this has the confidence in its storytelling to go, this is more about Gotham itself and the, the whole, you know, tapestry of people than it is just about this one guy. And then eventually, you know, it's almost like an ensemble piece sometimes, this film. Absolutely. It's definitely got that. And you, I won't take anything away from well, the Nolan brothers, and it's, you know, is it Christopher and Jonathan? Yeah. Jonathan? You know, I won't take anything away from either of those guys. They, they wrote and directed a great, great story. My, only, my biggest issue, I think, with their story is I don't think they knew what to do with Bane. I think, mm. they, knew, I think they knew they wanted Bane. Probably because he was one of those. Because the, the the thing about Batman Begins was they brought in Scarecrow as their mm-hmm. main bad guy. Now, for me, I outside of playing Batman video games, I had no idea who Scarecrow was. I don't do comic books. I have, no. you know, I have absolutely no idea who these people are. I trust the film to tell me. Yeah, uh, and they've done a great job with Scarecrow. Obviously, for Batman Two, you have to have the Joker. You can't not have the Joker. But for number three, I think they needed somebody big. And I think audiences that knew Batman wanted Bane, people like me that only really knew, again, from video games, I know who Bane is. And through a bit of reading, I know what Bane has done in the comic books. I was kind of interested to see him in it, but I don't think the Nolan guys knew what they were going to do with this hulking mass of a dude. (laughs) Who could literally tear through? Who did literally tear through Gotham City on a rampage? Well, interestingly, they the, the studio executives wanted the Riddler for the third villain because obviously we'd had the Joker and they they'd seen how successful Heath Ledger had been, yeah. and they wanted the Riddler and they um, they encouraged Leonardo DiCaprio for that role, which yeah, I know, yeah, it was really typical executives. But I think their their logic of having the Riddler 
makes an element of sense because a he's a similar character to the, to the Joker, so they in their heads they want to repeat the trick that made them yeah. a billion. But also, the Riddler is probably the, one of the the second or third most recognisable Batman villains. The Riddler, Penguin, all the guys who would appear a lot in the old sixties show. You know, yeah. those are the ones that are familiar to audiences. It's like you said. I mean, I'm not a comic book guy either. I take an interest in it, but I, I can't get my head around comics. It's just too much of it. But the the whole so I, I rely on the movies as well. And you know, in terms of you know Batman villains, I didn't know who Scarecrow was either. And I don't know who a lot of the supporting guys are until I go and research them. Whereas, you know, a lot of fans would. So I, you know, I didn't know who Bane was, and I only knew about Bane from Batman and Robin because he does appear in that, obviously. And yeah. he's Poison Ivy's lurching henchman who just goes Bane all the way through, and he's <laughs> he's just he's just a, a, a you know a hulking lurch. And you know, the the big thing is that that's not Bane from the comics. You know that that the Bane that they did in the film is a lot closer to the Bane in the comics, and the Bane in the comics is much more of a kind of a, a hulking, powerful mastermind. And I would say that what they're trying to do with Bane, the interesting thing about Bane is, and this is what what I really like about the writing, as much as Tom Hardy's performance, which is what sells it really. But what I like about Bane is that he only ever communicates in. How best to describe this? He only ever communicates in ideology because yeah. you very you never really get any kind of except until the very end you never get any kind of conversation from Bane that isn't about the plan or isn't about what he's there to do or isn't about highlighting what what the reason is that he's here and the reason is that he's here is is to follow up from Razal Ghul's work which was to expose what Gotham is and what in a way, what our society is, what Western society is, this, you know, this capitalist place where the rich have prospered, and he's he's a revolutionary, and that's, I think I think I I I I think they knew what to do with Bane, but I don't think they knew how to conclude that. That then that's that's the key thing because at the end they lose it completely. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? By the time you get to the end, and you know what I what I know of Bane from from the film and from reading. The- uh, reading up on him, I suppose, and you know he's he's not just this hulking mass; he's Batman's intellectual equal as well. Mm. So he's this super smart, super strong dude. And you get to the end of Dark Knight Rises, and he's just henchman number three, and that that feels like a real a real waste of the character. And to be honest, a real waste of of Tom Hardy as well. In the end, it definitely is. I completely agree with that. Up until that final moment where Talia is revealed as the, as ultimately the, the villain of the piece. Bane is fantastic, yeah. and it really undermines him. And I have to admit, actually, I and the only reason I knew it was because the uh, I read about it in some I don't know character bio or something from the first Arkham video game. The second they said that it was Ra's Al Ghul's kid, I knew it was her. Yeah, and that was that sucked because I was like, well, now you've ruined it. <laughs> and, and if, if me, a guy that doesn't know anything about the comics, has picked that up, then you've just ruined it for everybody else in the cinema that's clearly a geek. There are three yeah. Jokers and two Batman sitting behind me. <laughs> they clearly know what's going on right now. Well, yeah, it's similar for me in this. In that I saw when I heard that Marion Marion Cotillard had been cast as po- as as the um, Miranda Miranda Tate was the name of the of her alter ego. Yeah, but I saw a a still from um, filming where she's in Talia's 
very Arabic kind of costume at the end. And I, and that yeah. was the point, because I, I recognised that from the character of Talia, and I thought, oh, here we go. yeah, that's not, that's obviously that she's that she's Talia or something like that. So I, I kind of knew it was coming as well in a way. But it was interesting because Nolan didn't want the villain, and, and there's an argument that no Batman film, any, all Batman films are only as good as the villain. And I think I think there's a lot of truth to that, really. Well, and there he, is. You only got to look at you know Mister Freeze. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the fact that Batman Returns, even though it's got more merits than people say, the problem with that is that it's got too many villains who don't, none of which fully stand out, and it's it's one of those problems, really. Ultimately, yeah. so um, the best Batman films, like the first Batman film with Tim Burton, with Jack Nicholson's brilliantly flamboyant Joker. You know, you remember the Joker more than you do Batman in that film. Like, Absolutely. Like you remember Heath Ledger's Joker. Everyone, when you think of the Dark Knight, everyone immediately thinks of Heath Ledger's Joker. They don't think of Bruce Wayne. They don't think of Christian Bale. No. And and the same with this. You, everyone thinks of Bane. You know now and does the impressions and all this kind of stuff. But he wanted Nolan wanted someone to be a physical presence because Batman hadn't had that really. He'd faced you know Liam Neeson who was a mastermind. He'd faced the Joker who was just this anarchist who was setting his dogs on people. So he yeah. wanted a physical presence, and that's. And he didn't originally know the backstory of Bane. But he wanted, he said, the Joker, there's a contradiction. He said the Joker was an example of a diabolical chaotic anarchy and has a devilish sense of humour. Whereas Bane was like a classic movie monster with a terrific brain, which is, as we've said. And he said that his draft of the script was inspired by The Tale of Two Cities, the Charles Dickens novel, which is about the French Revolution. And this is is the whole thing. What he's trying to do what he's trying to say, I think, with the Dark Knight Rises is that the you know if if we carry on on this path of capitalist attainment and you know there's lots of lines in it about you know you you think this can last and you know all all this there's a storm coming and all these things and it, it's about the it's about the well it, it's it's apparently about the the lower classes and the masses rising up to actually unseat the people at the top and you know that's why you get all the anarchy but that's not why Bane's doing it ultimately and that's the problem. The ultimate thing is that he's doing it for Talia's revenge. And that's that's the point where I went, right, I get that that's a twist and I get that that's trying to make it personal. But if anything, you've just completely destroyed him as a villain because he... Well, yeah, it, your, your, your twist has completely removed all real character from this guy and just turned him into another dude with a gun. Well, exactly. And it's it's made, it's made him the henchman, as you said. And, it, and it's, it's made him... And, and then the worst thing is that he gets almost killed off screen in a way because then you know he's he's about to shoot batman and catwoman rolls in blasts him away and then she comes comes out with a quip and i, I was like are you serious you've spent like two and a half hours making this guy the most hulking powerful villain we've ever seen on screen like the, the scene where he fights batman he's amazing because he, yep. he just fucking pummels the shit out of him for 10 minutes and you think how the fucking hell is he gonna beat this guy and then he has this great second fight with him when all the all the people in Gotham are fighting. I love that as well. I love the fact that Batman's fighting with everyone in the city to, yeah. to save Gotham. That's so cool, you know, all that stuff. Man of the people kind Man, of thing, exactly. wasn't it? He's at, he's at ground level. They they know he's redeemed. He's come back. He leads the troops into battle. Yeah. It, and that's why it becomes a war. That's the other thing that Nolan said. He, he, wanted, he, he had um, Bridge on the River Kwai in his head. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's it's his ambitions huge, and and this this is this is the whole thing. But then to do that with him, 
it's it just it really really I just thought that was just so misconceived and I think the ending is where it falls down up and up until that point it's terrific and it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and it gets everyone involved and it's it's got a lot of stakes it's got it's got a great villain but it lets itself down at the end and the ambiguity at the end, though, I think that's pure Nolan misdirection, isn't it? I mean, he, he loves doing that in the Prestige and in, in Inception. You never quite know. Quite, he wants you. He wants you to leave. He wants to leave things a little bit uncertain, doesn't he? Yeah, I do wonder if because I always get this feeling, especially with, with things like Batman, where there's a lot of there's a lot of investment, not just right now. So you know, we're making the Dark Knight Rises. We we need to get people involved, but. You know, this once Nolan walks away, the studio still have to have or still have this Batman property to deal with. Yeah. So I I do always wonder if like at the end of it when Joseph Gordon Levitt's going to get his little bag and he has to do his <laughs> thing because, oh, oh maybe maybe it's under my real name, you know, Robin. Mm. Fuck off. <laughs> not one person that went to see that film is stupid enough to think you're not Robin. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> there, I know. Was, there was there was no need for it, and you know what? It screamed of studio made by committee shit. Going, you, Chris, mate, you have to do this. Mm. You have to say that bit because you know we might make another one, even though you're not going to do it. You know, I rolled my eyes at Bane becoming the henchman. I just, if it wasn't the fact that it was the end of the movie anyway, I'd have gotten up and walked out at that point. <laughs> I, I actually felt yeah. a little insulted as an audience member. You know what I mean? I would, yeah, I I don't know Batman. I know that's Robin. You don't need to spell it out to me. No, I know. know. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, for Nolan films, it's the equivalent of the the top stopping, spinning, and falling over at the end of Inception, and <laughs> there being an actual answer. You know, like, well, just leave it open ended. Let us all have our conversations and make up our own mind. And if you decide to make another one then you can tell us which ones of us were right and wrong. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Because he does, he le- he, everything else he leaves open to interpretation. You know, I mean, the the big one is whether or not Alfred really does see Bruce. Because this, this, is, this is the big one. I mean, most people, I think, do assume that because Lucius finds out that the autopilot was fixed, that's the big, you know, clue that, yes, he is alive. He did manage to fix the autopilot. He jumped out into the sea before the nuke went off. Let's put aside the fact that the mo- there would surely be some sort of radiation fallout, right? Let's let's, let's put that aside. Oh yeah, the, the dude would be sitting at that that table in in Italy, looking like the guy from RoboCop. <laughs> exactly. But putting putting those things aside, you know, I think. The, but I I do like the idea that that Alfred sees what he wants to see. Actually, you know, yeah. and and that Bruce does actually die in 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 that and, and sacrifices his life. But it, it leaves it open enough for you to. To, to to go either way with it. And then you've got the whole thing of the fact that, you know, Blake or, as you say, Robin, could end up becoming the next bat. You know, and the and the idea that, you know... And the, the, big th- the big thing about The Dark Knight Rises and ultimately the message with Nolan's films is it's not about the man, it's about what he is. And then that's, that's, the, cru- that's the crucial thing. That's why, in the end, you have that final scene of, of, of Robin discovering the Batcave. Because... Yeah. It doesn't matter who's in the suit. It's it's the the suit exists is the point, and that's yeah. that's what I really liked about the message. You know, there, there will always be a Batman. There should always be a Batman, but it's not about who it is. Yeah, and that it, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how many of 
died in nuclear explosions and, <laughs> and what have you. You know, there will always be someone to look out for us, the people. Exactly. There will always be that protector, that that saviour, that someone looking out. You know, and and that's and that's what it gets at. You know, and that that whole idea that was set up in in the Dark Knight about Harvey Harvey Dent being the 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 saviour on the the law side of things and the public side of things only to be corrupted and compromised. And he's, that's the whole, that was what was so great about the dark Knight, And they do carry that on thematically into it. You know, Bane calls that he reads the letter out, you know, and everything he, he calls on that. He very much plays off that. But so yeah. there's, there's a lot of great themes, a lot of great ideas about, about heroism, about society and about the, the fall of civilization in this film that I think people, People forget because they're too often too busy picking on the little things. And I think it's a shame because Nolan, the reason I like Nolan so much and what he does is that apart from the fact he, he, he shoots things beautifully quite often and he, he really, he understands that the idea of, of big cinema, he understands the idea of spectacle. I love, oh, absolutely. I love that about the guy. In a lot of ways, in, in ways a lot of filmmakers don't these days, or they're just obsessed with shoveling CGI onto the screen. If he if he can't if he doesn't have to do it with that with without CGI, he won't do it without CGI. You know, no. that's what I love about him. But it's the whole idea that he's he, his ideas are big. You know, in all his films, his ideas are big. They're about the the bigger picture. But people do. But he but he does sacrifice often logic. <laughs> <laughs> and little plot points for that, but I'm okay with that. I don't mind that. And that's yeah, I think the thing. I think you have to respect that the man he he knows what he wants to do and he he does it, you know. And whether or not it comes out, it might come out how he wants, but it doesn't always come out how we expect it to. I mean, mm. like it or or hate it. I think Interstellar is a great example of that. Yeah, because man, I hated that film. But he, but this is it. It divides people. It's, um, but. You can see his this massive yeah. spectacle of a movie that numbed your ass for three hours as you sat and watched it. But you know, <laughs> it, it is it's a massive spectacle of a film, and it's gorgeous. And he's clearly got a point. It just that that particular one it didn't land with me. Uh, but you know, the, but the the Batman films, he knows what he wants, and studio interference or not, for the most part, we got an excellent trilogy of a you know a level of dark Batman that we thought we'd lost after Burton didn't want to make anymore. Yeah. And, and a different kind of dark Batman in that Burton's Burton's darkness with got was Gothic, but oh, Burton's yeah, darkness Burton. was fairy tale Gothic almost. <laughs> Burton's darkness still is Gothic, isn't it? <laughs> Everything <laughs> yeah. he does. But, yeah. You know, you all, both of his Batman films were very, were very Gothic. uh kind of dark. This is just what well, it's psychopathic dark at points, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's it's the human darkness. It's the mm. it's the realistic human darkness of of that world, and it, it's the whole thing of if there's if there's any comic book character or one of the that, that could logically probably exist in the world, it's someone like Batman because he's not super powered. He's just a, a man very skilled at like martial arts and whatnot and training with a shitload of money and a lot of futuristic gadgets, admittedly. But he's he's a man ultimately, which is yeah. something that does obviously come into play in the film we're going to talk about at the end, but. But this is where Nolan's trilogy works so well, is because it is grounded as a realistic film. You know, literally anybody could be Batman. It just he happened to be and had that specific set of things happen to him that turned him into Batman. Exactly, exactly. And he created something that was bigger than Bruce Wayne, that was bigger than him. And that's that's a great message, really. And I think it's one of it's one of the several reasons that I really, really like this film. But before we get on to talking about the next film. It's what I think is interesting about this and about. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast and what we're doing is charting the journey from this Batman to the Batman we see in the new film. Okay. So in terms of the differences, how different do you think Christian Bale's Batman and what the dark, what he is in the dark Knight rises is to, before we get onto this fully is to Ben Affleck's Batman in Batman versus Superman. I don't think he's that different. No, I don't. No, I don't. I think the thing you have to remember with Affleck's Batman is it's, it's post all of this stuff happening, you know, yeah. whether or not, it, whether or not this, the, the, the Nolan trilogy is part of the justice league canon, which it probably won't be, mm. but the Batman we see in bats versus soups is very clearly a, a, a post Joker post Riddler post, whatever Batman he's been beaten to a pulp over the years. He's gotten gruff and cynical and he's just had enough. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I, I think that because there would be a, a gap of however long you want, want it to be 10 years between Dark Knight Rises and, and Bats vs. Soups. I mm. do think that's, there's definitely a, a, a feeling of it's the same Batman. He's just had enough. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I obviously given the way that Dark Knight Rises ends, you know, I think we can we can probably assume that this isn't canon, but thematically, I think that's a fair point to make in that it's it's taking that, and it, you know, it is one of the few plus points I think I've got to say about Batman versus Superman, the actual Batman character. But I will get to that later. But I think the the idea of, I think I like that idea that in a way you can kind of think of the Nolan trilogy as the beginning of the Batman story and the middle of the Batman story, or even the end of that. And then it leads on to thematically what happens later. I think that's yeah, that, I that's think, a good way of looking at it. I think until, uh, well, probably August actually, because obviously August we get Suicide Squad and we know Batman appears in Suicide Squad. Mm. So that will then kind of erase everything Batman and Joker-ish from, from the canon before it. But until you get to that point, I think it works thematically to see the Nolan trilogy as kind of precursor to where we are mm. in Batman versus Superman. Although, of course, you know, even though Heath Ledger died, the Joker didn't. So, no. 
you know. So in theory, it could be just a recast Joker. <laughs> oh, know? absolutely, it, it could um, be. But uh, it, it won't. It won't be canon. Obviously, it's not canon. But we can. You can still thematically make that work. I think in your head to try yeah, and I, tether them. I do think, well, didn't they want uh, the Joker in Dark Knight Rises as well? Almost certainly, I read. I think possibly yeah, before, obviously before his death. I think, but yeah, obviously we had Heath Ledger dying, and you, uh, you, that's a character you can't replace because you quite clearly, when you watched the Dark Knight, that wasn't Heath Ledger playing the Joker; that was the Joker yeah. playing he, the Joker. And there's, of course, you know, certain schools of thought that it was one of the reasons that he died because he got so into playing the Joker that it caused a lot of his drug stuff that. Yeah, well, didn't, uh, didn't Jack Nicholson say something similar that it was a character that really got to him while he was yeah, playing? I think and so, his, yeah. his version was nowhere near as twisted as <laughs> No, and to be fair, Jack Nicholson had already done all the drugs. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so he, was, he, he would be okay. But no, exactly. And it's. It does seem like the kind of character that if you went all method and tried to get into it, it would affect you quite deeply. It would send you a bit in the deep end. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's. Phase one almost of Batman done. Big thanks to um, James Morton um, for nominating this film and giving us a chance to talk about the next two. So, um, you know, cheers for that, James. Um, you can find him on Twitter at James underscore E underscore Morton. And he's a writer, director, film critic, Durham grad, and he makes movies. And uh, you can find his stuff at jamesmortonprojects.com. So do check him out. And thanks very much for that. We will now move on to our second film. So let's pick a flick again. Man of Steel is a 2013 British-American superhero film featuring the DC Comics character Superman. It was co-produced by Legendary Pictures and Syncopy Films and distributed by Warner Brothers. It is the first instalment in the DC Extended Universe, or the DCU, directed by Zack Snyder and written by David S. Goyer again. The film stars Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Michael Shannon, Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, Lawrence Fishburne, Ayelet Zura, Christopher Maloney and Russell Crowe. Man of Steel is a reboot of the Superman film series that retells the character's origin story. In the film, Clark Kent learns that he is a super-powered alien from the planet Krypton and assumes the role of mankind's protector, only to find himself having to prevent the sinister General Zod from destroying humanity. Here's a clip then. Let's let's listen to um, Zod in action. My name is General Zod. I come from a world far from yours. I have journeyed across an ocean of stars to reach you. For some time, your world has sheltered one of my citizens. I request that you return this individual to my custody. For reasons unknown, he has chosen to keep his existence a secret from you. He will have made efforts to blend in. He will look like you. But he is not one of you. To those of you who may know of his current location, the fate of your planet rests in your hands. To Kal-El, I say this. Surrender within 24 hours. Watch this world suffer 
Development of Man of Steel began in 2008 when Warner Brothers Pictures took pitches from comic book writers, screenwriters and directors opting to reboot the franchise in the wake of Superman Returns. In 2009, a court ruling resulted in Jerry Siegel's family recapturing the rights to Superman's origins and Siegel's copyright. The decision stated that Warner Brothers did not owe the families additional royalties from previous films, but if they did not begin production on a Superman film by 2011, then the Schuster and Siegel estates would be able to sue for lost revenue on an unproduced film. Therefore, Christopher Nolan, um, off, uh, off the back of The Dark Knight Rises, pitched Goya's idea after story discussion uh, on, the film, on The Dark Knight Rises, and then Zack Snyder was hired as the film's director in October 2010, at which point principal photography began in August 2011. So they... They kickstarted this in order to prevent themselves them keeping hold of the rights, which is something that happens a lot with movie studios, principally um, Fantastic Four last year. I was going to say, yeah, that's that's Fantastic Four syndrome, yeah. that, isn't it? You know, and I think it's fair to say that um, much as I think more creative harmony was involved in, in Man of Steel, well, to an extent, I frankly, I don't, I don't, I think this is a worse film than than Fantastic Four. Not to use the comparison because they're very different, but. Um, or are they very different? I mean, the, the thing is, well, what do you think? Because I have rewatched this now for a second time, and I like it less. Yeah, no, I I haven't seen Fantastic Four, mainly because not one person can tell me it's worth watching. <laughs> it's not worth watching. And, <laughs> and I, I, quite frankly, I refuse to waste my very precious film-watching time mm. watching a film like that. I'd rather watch... Deadpool again. Uh, anyway, but <laughs> you don't need a reason. No. <laughs> you never need a reason. <laughs> but yeah, I, no, I've watched it. I've watched Man of Steel three or four times now, and I want to hate it because it is a bag of shit. <laughs> I, I really don't. But there's something about it that stops me from hating it, and I think actually that the, the thing that stops me from hating it is Michael Shannon. Right. I, I think, you know, because Michael Shannon, and to be fair, I think Michael Shannon is gold in absolutely everything he does, so it's not a surprise mm. that he's good in this. But I I just, I can't, nothing else about the film is worth watching. The problem I have with Man of Steel is that when I first watched it, which wasn't, which, which was at the cinema, I haven't rewatched it in nearly three years. And I, I said to myself, I will, I will wait until the new one, and I will watch it just before that next. And I, I did. And when I, when I watched it at the cinema, I remember... And there's a, there's a, a lot of people who agree, probably agree along these lines in that the first hour of the film was good. And the first hour of the film had a lot of promise and it was doing more. You could see a lot more of the Christopher Nolan stuff in there in terms of, of the character behind it. Yeah. You mean the actual storytelling? Right, the storytelling. And then, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, this is nearly two and a half hours. It's nearly the same length as The Dark Knight Rises. Or that feels a lot longer for me. But the when you once you get to about an hour and 15 minutes in or whatever, it then just becomes for the last hour a Transformers movie, effectively, in terms of the same level of whiz-bang, crash, wallop, you know, what a video, all this. It's just, it gets to the point where I said, okay, this isn't a Superman film. And, and, you know, I've I've been listening, I've been reading a lot about this and I was listening to a a really good podcast, actually, about superhero films called Cinematic Universe, which I really recommend. And um, I just yesterday listened to their Man of Steel podcast, and they're very well, very knowledgeable guys about comic book movies. And the guy who was lambasting it was making the point that this feels like a Superman film for people who don't like Superman. And I think yeah. I think that's that sums it up perfectly, really. In that 
I don't really think Zack Snyder likes him, quite honestly. <laughs> and I certainly don't think he likes what Richard Donner and then what Brian Singer in, in the flawed, but not as bad as people say, Superman Returns tried to do, which was shine a light on the fact that Superman isn't supposed to be this troubled hero. You know, he, he no. he's, a, he's a shining beacon of hope for people. You know, he's he's... Yeah, it makes him a bit boring, but he's meant to be somebody who people do aspire to. And there's a lot of dialogue in this film about, oh, you know, you will be... Russell Crowe says to him at the beginning, oh, you will be someone to follow. You know, you will be... How how exactly is a man who trashes a city and kills thousands of people someone to follow? You know, it it, it, well, it makes no I, sense. And the, 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 I think you know, this is the problem that's, that Man of Steel has, though. It, it has... On a worse scale than Dark Knight uh, Rises, it has ideas. It just doesn't know how to follow through with them, you know. And I think Zack Snyder may be the worst director for this film, fan or not. You know, whether or not he likes Superman, what Snyder makes is violent, crash, bang, wallop films, and Superman doesn't need or deserve that. You know, he's supposed to be a super nice guy, and to and to end up. With the, with Man of Steel, I think it's it's a travesty, and I think anybody that's actually got anything to do with the comic books was probably very angry about how that film ended up. It, it just, it, yeah, I mean, I would be. It, it's it's the whole thing of how with Zack Snyder, you know, if I mean, you, you only have to look look at his back catalogue. You know, three hundred is just all muscles, and visually, it you know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of his films they're visually interesting because you know he's a music video director going back in the day. Yeah. That's how he got his, his name. It's how he made his name. He's visually, he's got a lot of good ideas and he, and, he, and he can put something together. But, you know, 300's got no depth, no substance. Watchmen isn't, isn't too bad simply because he basically Xeroxed the entire comic book itself, right? Yeah, I, I didn't like Watchmen at all. No, I lie. Watchmen had the same thing as Man of Steel. It had one redeeming feature and that was Rorschach. Yeah, yeah. Outside yeah. of that, you know, I... And because I, I, I think he said he's actually a fan of the source material, isn't he? He likes Watchmen. Yeah. And I, and I, I hate that I might be quoting Mark Kermode because I really don't like Mark Kermode very much. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Kermode that said just because you're a fan of something doesn't mean you're qualified to be the guy that makes the film yeah. of it. He think he did say uh, that. Yeah. And I think Watchmen is a perfect example of that. I. I know I'm in the minority when it comes to Watchmen. I know a lot of people really liked it. I just, and I think you're right. Zack Snyder makes some gorgeous films. I said this before. He makes really visually stunning movies, but they've got no depth well, whatsoever. And this is the thing. You know, Watchmen, I liked Watchmen, but I didn't like it for Zack Snyder. I liked it because it was the comic book. It, 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 yeah. You know, he didn't... If, you'd have had, if Terry Gilliam had made that film as he planned to... That would have been, it wouldn't have just been the comic book. It would have been something completely, and this is, I think, Alan Moore's problem, you know, when he sees these films, right? You know, he, he, has, this, he has this thing where, you know, he says, oh, it's all shit, you know, make it. He, I think if, if you had a genuine visionary creative involved and they were making something that wasn't completely just a copy of what he's done on, on the page, then yeah. he, he wouldn't have as big a problem, potentially. So Watchmen I like because it is because it is that, right? It's not because of Snyder. Then he makes objectionable shite like Sucker Punch, which makes me want to punch him, frankly. Right? <laughs> it's just horrific, weird, creepy, sexist, misogynist bollocks. And then uh, Sucker Punch is a film for fifteen year old video game nerds. Yeah, yeah. Just that, watch you just know, fucking hell, just watch some porn lads. 
You know, it, yeah. you'll have more fun, believe me. It's like... <laughs> It, it does. I've said this before. That it does have a killer soundtrack. Yeah, it does actually. I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. It does have a really good soundtrack. That's true. But it, everything else is just shite. But and, and you know the, the point is that yeah, he's got no depth. The the difference with Nolan and why I I bet you Nolan looks. I mean, he's credited an executive producer on Batman versus Superman. I bet you he yeah. had almost zero involvement in that. And he didn't have a fat lot of involvement in this, I don't think, in the end. Because I think, I, I can well imagine him going, oh, God, I've got my name on this. Because yeah. the, the concepts are okay. The, what, what, what they're thinking of doing with this, and this is where, you know, you could turn around and say, well, hang on, if, if, if you're saying that a, a visionary is coming into something like Watchmen, should come into that and do something different, then isn't that what Snyder's doing with Superman? Is he not coming at this from a different angle? I get that, I, I get that idea, right? But he, the but the fact is, he wants us. Nolan knows how to do all this stuff, all this spectacle, all this you know tension, all this build up with depth. Snyder doesn't. Snyder's Snyder's and like Michael Bay, Snyder's you know rationales blow the fucking place up. Right? That's yeah. that's action. That's that's suspense. That's stakes. Let's just blow it all up. No, it's not that at all. And and this and this is the problem. The first hour. Watching it back, I didn't feel the same about the first hour that I did at the beginning. I still like the Krypton stuff, which I know a lot of people don't. I thought the Krypton stuff was interesting because it's not something... It doesn't get explored very often. Yeah. You know, obviously, obviously we, had, we had Krypton in a very different kind of form in the original Superman, in Richard Donner's mm-hmm. one. I'd, I've only seen Superman Returns once, so I don't actually remember if there was any Krypton in it. I th- no, because uh, I think he's coming back from looking for Krypton, because it's set after Superman 2, so I think it's already been destroyed there. Uh, yeah. okay. Liz, I think I saw it when it came out of the cinema and never again, because I thought it was garbage. <laughs> uh, but, you know, piano throwing Super Baby could have been fun. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, so... Yeah, I quite liked Krypton in this. I liked that they put a little bit of history behind everybody... The, maybe the comic books have done that before, but again, because I don't know, I, I have to rely on what people are telling me. And while it's probably stupid to put my trust in Zack Snyder, I, I have to trust that he's at least paying a little bit of homage to the comic books and telling me a bit of the story behind it. I don't know if I don't know either if it's if it's somebody with better comic book knowledge would be able to explain if if the Krypton stuff that we see is, is in comics. I think it I think it probably was. But someone, someone at Warner Brothers needs to explain to me how the fuck those giant dildos got through production <laughs> without anybody going, guys, you know that looks like a cock, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I watched it this, this, uh, this afternoon and went, I just, I can't believe that this got through quality. I went, this ain't okay. <laughs> this is it. This is the thing. Zack Snyder doesn't doesn't look at things. I think beyond the surface, you know, he doesn't. And he's got he's got no sense of humor. And this this is the other thing. He has absolutely no sense of humor. He takes everything seriously. He it is he is like a fifteen year old kid trying to make a movie yeah. with a, somebody's given a fifteen year old kid two hundred million dollars and said, right, okay, make make a film that's dramatic. Make a film where you're supposed to care about people. Right, and then he's got. Oh, okay. I better make a film about a moody fucking superhero, right? And that—that's what he's done, right? <laughs> you know, he, he makes it. With, there's no levity in this film. You know, I don't care if it's supposed to be a dark story. 
people, it, it's almost people, like he sat there and gone, well, they didn't fucking let me make Batman, so I'm going to fucking make Batman with Superman. Uh, said, Fuck you. Well, it's, well, actually, it's interesting because he's come out and said recently that when he, when he did Man of Steel, he always had his eye on doing Batman versus Superman, and he, he basically did this in order to, to be able to do that. So he's always had his eye on Batman, ultimately. And that's precisely what he's tried to do. He's tried to, he's tried to Batman up Superman in this. And it's, it's the whole thing of... Superman isn't Superman is technically a boring superhero because he's invincible. You know, he's a Mary Sue of a superhero. The yeah. reason that he's interesting, though, a lot of it is because of Clark Kent. And the, and the problem you have in this is that Clark Kent is a moody fucker throughout the entire film. There's, he doesn't even get to the Daily Planet until the end. And you could say, okay, it's a prequel, and that's why we have Krypton. You know, it's a prequel. And, you know, we see his dad a lot more as opposed to Marlon Brando's, Marlon Brando's big floating head going, you are my son. Like, that's Anthony Hopkins. What, what, what. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you know. Looking like the games master from the old TV show. <laughs> exactly. You know, so you had you had all the Fortress of Solitude stuff and everything in the original Superman movie and everything. And I imagine that's more the extent of what you net, tend to get in the comics. Much probably a lot more of him discovering through holograms and whatnot what happened to his world as opposed to actually being there and seeing it from because you know for the first 20 minutes Jor-El is the protagonist you know it's, it's yeah. his movie for you know he, he plays it very well actually I've got a, I've, I've never really been Russell Crowe's biggest fan but I really liked him in this as, yeah. uh, as Jor-El he was good he was good because he he had a, a nice sense of nobility about him and you know and 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 Michael Shannon, I've got no problem with him as, as Zod as a villain, even though I much prefer Terrence Stamp because he's a lot weirder, you know, and he, he feels a lot more alien to me. Zod just feels like a, you know, a, a tin pot dictator from, or a, a politician who's just put on a yeah, fancy he, suit. He feels like a tyrannical general. Yeah, he, he does. And he, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kim Jong-il with an alien suit. <laughs> yeah, because all he is, is really a renegade. You know, he's, he's, he's yeah. a renegade general who, who basically wants to stage a coup. And I understand that, but it doesn't particularly feel very alien to me. And all the all the explosions and flying about in ships and whatever, and world engines and all these brilliantly, hilariously named things like the God Eye, the World Engine, the Destructive See, this, Force. This is the other thing where I completely lose the fucking plot when it comes to Man of Steel. Is all of a sudden he wants to terraform Earth. Where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. I it just randomly appeared, and you know, World Engine and. Death by dubstep. <laughs> All that which stuff. Annoyed the piss out of me. It's just, <laughs> oh, mate. I've never, it just it makes me laugh every time I watch it. It's literally like having a Skrillex album on for the last <laughs> half an hour. But it comes out of nowhere. You know, I, I, I don't like, but I understand the wanting to take Kal-El back or do his thing with Kal-El. That's fine. But then to randomly decide you're going to terraform the earth and turn it into krypton bizarre well i suppose the idea is that he knows that krypton's gone and that he's you know he wants to he wants to make it again he wants to you know rebuild it maybe in his own image or you know in and that's why so i I get it in that perspective but it does come out of nowhere because his original mo is to get the codex you know from from kal-el and get the knowledge of krypton back so it's not really about earth he just you know he could have been anywhere you know, he could, he could yeah. have landed anywhere. And it's it's the whole thing of, I mean, I know they send him to Earth, but the, the point is that it's just all a bit contrived in order to get a lot of smack bang, you know, crash metropolis action. But you've got, you know, the whole, but the whole thing, just going back to Superman, the whole thing is that the whole idea of having a prequel Clark Kent where he's 
you know, you have all the flashbacks to his youth and him, you know, the, the central thematic idea of this is that he is, should he be the hero that, that he, that he's supposed to be, you know, and, and this, 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 this is where the, this is where the really, really, really terribly conceived idea of Jonathan Kent's death comes in because Kevin Costner is the best thing in this film for me. Right. Yeah, he, he, I, I really like Kevin Costner in the scenes he's in. I think he's great. I think he's a really good Jonathan Kent, and I think he really comes across well. But the the scene where he tells Clark not to save him when he's just saving a dog from a tornado, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm sorry, no. He, he would still save you. I, I, I just, I, I don't. I had this conversation with someone yesterday as well, and as as they were explaining, it, I just, I couldn't. There's no defending it at no, all. No, there isn't. <laughs> and the the more he went, because he, he was getting quite irate about it as well. So clearly, he felt quite uh, quite strongly about the fact that he should have gone and saved his old man. <laughs> I I was in bits. I was like, well, you, you're completely. There's no explaining it away, and there's no reason for him not to have gone and saved him and and said that no, you must have been seeing things yeah. because you know tornado. But it yeah, it's the most pointless and contrived emotional shit. I, I think I've seen in a superhero movie in quite some time. Well, the, the, that's exactly it. Contrived. That you've hit the nail on the head there. This, this is that's what it is. When you had depth and stakes in the Nolan Batman films, you know, and, and even in the original Superman films, it, they weren't contrived. They were logical. In this case, the message is: Clark should never shouldn't be the hero that you know he's supposed to be until everyone is ready for it. In which case, don't save me, your dad, right, who has raised you. Don't worry about that, right? Just, and, and it, it's just, and yet he's fine saving school kids from, in a bus. I just, I just don't, I don't believe it for a minute. And I think, I think it's just there in order to amp up this lost father thing, which, you know, he's, he's central to the, the Superman thing, you know, a, a, a son of two fathers and all this. I get that. But it, it, yeah. there's no, there's no fun in any of it. And there's there's no fun in, in Clark's journey at all. There's to, to Superman, and then when he becomes Superman, he doesn't really do any Superman stuff. He just immediately has to fight Zod, and he immediately ends up basically just going to Metropolis and trashing anything. And don't even get me started on the lack of chemistry between him and Lois. Well, that just oh, that's that annoyed the piss out of me. I have to admit, yeah, they just kind of fell into the same scenes together, and magically, that's how they are now in love. I don't. Awful. Awful chemistry. And it's not him or her. It's really, really shit writing. Yeah, it is. It, it's, the, it's the piss poor script. And it's... Because, I, I mean, I don't know an awful lot of Henry Cavill films. I know a couple, but most of them are junk food films. Amy Adams is a pretty damn good actress, in my opinion. I think she's fantastic. And given a proper script, she could have actually made it quite convincing. I think... <sighs> I go, I go. Well, I mean, for starters, I think Cavill's miscast. I think he, he looks the part, but I don't think he's. I don't think he has the the charisma to pull off Clark Kent and and Superman. I just don't, and I, I stand by that. But I think Amy Adams. I think it's tough casting Superman. Because yeah. the last time they tried to cast someone that looked like they could be Superman, it basically meant someone that looked like the original Superman, no, yeah. and we ended up. With- Random Ralph, who was not good. No, I know. I know. It, it, it is, <laughs> yeah, it is a difficult. It is a difficult one to do, and and it's you know Christopher Reeve wasn't perfect. You know, he, he, and he's the one that everyone commonly associates Superman with. But 
it is a difficult one to play, I get that, but I just don't think Cavalry's right for the part. And I think, I don't really think Amy Adams is right for Lois either. And I, th- I think that with Amy Adams, I go, I go hot and cold on her. I really do. One, one, uh, what you know, I could watch the fighter and think she's amazing, and then I'll watch American Hustle and she annoys the shit out of me for th- two hours. And it's just yeah, but everybody in American Hustle annoys well, the shit yeah. out of me. So. <laughs> exactly. It's an annoying <laughs> film. But yeah, I go hot and cold on her. I think in this, I just, I, I think fundamentally she has no chemistry with Cavill. The writing doesn't bring anything out. They're not good enough actors in this instance to bring anything out of the, the, the what's not on the page. And it just, it's all just so contrived and forced to get everyone to a point that they need to be in order to have this gigantic smackdown that ultimately is to put that question out there, is Superman a good man? Is he a hero or is he a, is he a villain in waiting? And then that's why he trashes Metropolis, that's why he fights Zardnoid to apparently save, save the world and then, of course, he kills him, which is the other big bone of contention at the end. Where do, where yeah. do you stand on that? I... I... I don't think I got as angry as other people, clearly other people that were comic book fans when oh, Superman doesn't get anybody. But I do very much agree that Superman is 100% good guy. You know, he's supposed to be 100% good guy. I, he shouldn't have killed him at all. Hmm. I think the problem is by this point, I don't care about him. I don't care about Zod. I certainly don't care about the people Zod is trying to fry at this precise point in time. I was quite happy for him to do it if it meant the film was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but but from a story point of view, I think it was misguided is probably the best way of putting it. I don't think it fit. Even after, you know, we had the Superman apocalypse that destroyed half of Metropolis. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it fit at all. He, you know, whether or not, people believe that that's what Superman's supposed to be. If you want this guy that's supposed to be this beacon of good, you can't have him, you know, snap the necks of people in front of other people. Yeah. Even even if he thinks he's doing it for the, for the greater good. I just, I don't, I, I don't buy it. No, I like that he's clearly affected by it. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. He, he clearly hates that he's done it and that's fine and it almost balances it out. But at the same time, you know, there's always another way. Yeah. And, he, and, and, you know, Superman should find another way. He's powerful enough to do it. And I, I I just fundamentally, I just have, I have an issue with it. I just, I just find it to be loud nonsense. And I, I don't, I want it to have more depth than it, than it does. And it annoys me because it thinks it has more depth. It thinks it has depth. It thinks it's meaningful. It thinks it's saying things. It thinks it's powerful, but it's not. And and I and you know I, after I watched it again I I left thinking I didn't care about any of that and I should. No, it's a two and a half hour long video game cutscene. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> effectively, yeah. And I and unfortunately, it left me very very negative, more negative than I would have liked to have been for the last film we're going to talk about. So for the last time, let's pick a flick. And join us in part two, guys, as we pick that flick and look at Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.